0: Hello, and welcome to Linux Action News, our weekly take on Linux and the open-source world. This is episode 58, recorded on June 17th, 2018. I'm Chris. And I'm Joe. Hello, Joe. I think this is my last episode from Texas, and we're kicking it off with one of my favorite topics these days, a new release of the Plasma desktop.
1: Yeah, 5.13 has been released, and there's quite a few little improvements that have sort of come together to make one big improvement.
0: I think the things that really stand out in this release are the browser integration for Chromium-based browsers and Firefox. Now, the media controls and download status are integrated into the Plasma desktop notification areas. They've redesigned the system settings, and there's a few other things they've slipped in there, like improved blur effects and early support for GTK global menu integration. So
1: presumably you've upgraded to this on KDE Neon then.
0: Yeah, uh, and overall, like all of the previous updates, it's gone pretty smooth with the exception of one new bug that's already been reported. And I think work's already being done to fix it. But I don't know the exact circumstances, but on my system, which is a Dell XPS 13 with a high DPI display, and I'm using the Breeze Dark theme, when I click on the Wi-Fi menu, I get this cluttered, huge icon list where I can't click on the individual Wi-Fi connections. The Wi-Fi signal icons are about 15 times the size they should be. And they're all sort of jumbled in the list, which is a big bummer when you're on the road and you're switching between Wi-Fi networks several times in a day. It's, it's become tricky. The quick workaround for me has been to just go into the Wi-Fi settings area itself and just connect in there and not use the pop-up menu. Others have said they can clear caches and it seems to resolve it. Hasn't fixed it for me. Outside of that one problem, though, this must be the third release I've upgraded on this Dell XPS 13 and... I just love it. I just love having this fresh plasma. And it reminds me that Kubuntu is great for those of us that need to use their system in production. All of my studio machines, Kubuntu 1804 all day, and it isn't getting this 513 release of plasma. But if you're on Neon or some of the rolling distros like Arch or OpenSUSE, you might give it a go. With that exception of that Wi-Fi menu bug, it's pretty solid and the performance is noticeably better.
1: But it is possible to enable it via PPA on Kubuntu 1804, but presumably you're not going to be doing that on the production systems then.
0: Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, that could be another way for folks to go. I don't know if I'd recommend it yet. Um, I'm not doing that. I'm going to stick with... The LTS release of Plasma on Kubuntu 18.04, which is also an LTS. That was one of the things that really attracted me to it. So I'm going to stick with that supported LTS version. You're
1: pretty much all in on Plasma these days, aren't
0: you? Yeah, I really am. It's, it's been sort of the star of the road trip because, uh, not only have, have I used it for every single show that I've done on the road, but I converted a couple of people from GNOME at Linux Academy over to the Plasma desktop, including Anthony, the CEO himself, who's given Kubuntu a go next week. So I, I kind of became a bit of a pitch man while I was there. Yeah. <laughs> Who, me? Never.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, there's this video um, showing off all the features, and uh, it's pretty good apart from the voiceover. I didn't think much of that one.
0: Yeah, no. You know, I think that guy was in his RV or something. You can kind of, it sounds a little weird. yeah. Uh, that was weird. Like I just
1: pressed play and uh, the last one was Michael, um, so I was kind of expecting him again, and it was like, oh,
0: wow. Yeah, there's Chris talking about that. He'll probably be back in the next one, I would imagine. I think he was uh, crunched for time because he was itself. Ah, uh, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's a very slick video, though,
1: isn't it? The, uh, the visuals of it and everything, it's very well put together.
0: I completely agree. The video's great, and I am really happy to see GNOME doing that, as well as a few other open-source projects. I think it was just a few years ago. I was sort of strongly advocating that Projects should do this to really showcase the good work they're doing. But also as a user of these desktops, they do so much, even Gnome, that it's nice to be reminded what's new. And it was because of that video that I went over and got the Plasma integration extension for my Firefox browser. And now I'm really liking that media player stuff because when I'm on the air, like if something starts playing, I don't even have to go into my browser. I can use the play pause keys on my keyboard that control the Plasma widget, which then stops the browser. So it's even faster now, I can stop an interruption, it's a great feature. And I didn't really grok it until I saw that video.
1: And as usual, it's just slow and steady improvement to me. It's almost tempting to switch over. I must say, every new release of Plasma that comes out, I think, hmm, maybe I should jump ship. But then I think, no, no, XFC is good enough for me, thank you very much. But uh, it's, uh, it's certainly a potential backup for me, I must say. And uh, I'm, I'm tempted to put it on just one or two systems that I don't use very much, just to give it a really good go. But I don't know. I don't. I don't want to move away from XFCE. I'm too too scared of change. I think
0: I'm going to just admit that it's a lot to take in. There's just so much going on with Plasma Desktop, uh, and that's what I love about it. Actually, that there's so much going on. Uh, but it's it takes a bit. It took me three times. This was my third time that it actually stuck for me because each time I got a little more familiar with it and I'm going to, I'm going to put a call out there If anybody in the audience has like a guide or could write up a, a quick like text based how to to configure plasma desktop as close to like the default Zubuntu desktop, go to linuxactionnews.com slash contact and send that in. Cause I bet you there is some maniac in the audience that has configured his plasma desktop to look exactly like Zubuntu.
1: Yeah, well, the only thing is I want the panel on the bottom, though. Got to have the panel on the bottom. Mine's on the bottom. Got to be on the bottom. Yeah. Old XP style. Thank you very much.
0: (laughs) Speaking of being on the bottom, Mycroft's been on the bottom of personal assistance since the beginning. They've been behind. And now they're reaching out to the community once again to try to pull ahead. Yeah, but instead of doing
1: a Kickstarter or Indiegogo Crowdfunder, this time it's an opportunity to invest in Mycroft. Right, And it's not just VCs anymore. Anyone can invest for the low, low price of $250.
0: Joe, have you been frustrated that you've been left out of the wealthy VC game for a long time? You know, it's been kept to accredited investors and wealthy individuals who make more than 200000 per year and have more than a million in assets. Well, if you've been frustrated that they haven't been able to accommodate you, well, that's all changing now.
1: Yeah, well, if I was going to invest in something, I'm afraid it would not be Minecraft. <laughs> <Whew>. <laughs> because... You know, the voice assistants are booming, there's no doubt, but um, I am personally not convinced by them. I know you are all in on um, the the Amazon one, and uh, when you're back in the studio, everything's automated with that, and you presumably would like to have that be totally open source, but Mycroft, how much money are they going to need to be able to compete with the likes of Amazon and Google and Apple on this stuff?
0: Millions and millions. They point out in their own post, which, by the way, I was reading from earlier as well, that they say to build the Echo, our friends at Amazon made three acquisitions and assigned hundreds of employees to the project. Here at Mycroft, we have a benefit of a great community, but we need additional resources to achieve that goal. Right there, right there, they're basically saying, we can't do this unless we can scale the way Amazon did. It's it's sort of uh, an impossible goal at this point. Uh, And the, the problem is... I think we actually too often focus on the lady tubes from Amazon or from Google. But I think the real competition is the ones that are baked into the phones and the ones that are baked into like TVs, like the Google Assistant can be, because th- those are creating something that's going to be called ambient voice assistants. That's my, I'm coining that term, ambient assistant. What happens, especially in the case of the Siri ecosystem, is if you have a couple of iPhones and iPads in your house, and then you get a Home Pod, what essentially happens because of all of the great microphones on those different devices, anywhere you are, When you say the perfect incantation to that device, they essentially activate anywhere in your house. And there's a immediate Bluetooth network the moment you say those words that is created between all of the devices and they vote which one is the closest and then that device responds to you. You never think about it. It all happens instantaneously, even devices that aren't yours. So if you have a partner who has a separate iCloud account, has a completely separate phone, they still participate in this Bluetooth voting. And it's creating this ambient network of virtual assistants. And... That's the real competition because that's using the platform. That's Google with Google Assistant and Apple with Siri. And that's what really is the competition, not the single tubes. Tubes are part of it, but they're just one part of this whole ambient assistant that's going to take over everyone's homes. It's already there if you have a phone. It's already there. It's already happened. It's just you only have one or two microphones at this point, but there will be more. Right. And so they can't possibly
1: hope to compete with that, even if they got millions in investment here. So maybe they would be better off going down the open source privacy route and saying that this thing's going to work without access to the internet. It's going to be totally based on your LAN, and you're going to be totally private. Surely that would be the way to do it. And then people would accept that the voice is not going to be as good. I mean, it it was almost laughable in this post by uh, the Mycroft CEO saying that uh, their goal is to have Mycroft be indistinguishable from a human being, and so you wouldn't even know you're talking to a robot. Oh, man. That is such a pipe dream. I mean, even the Amazon and Google and um, Apple ones, you can blatantly tell. I mean, it's a great voice from them, and you can understand it perfectly, but they are years away from that being indistinguishable. I mean, I know Google did that demo and everything that got headlines, but... Duplex. Yeah, but it's... uh, that feels a long way off, even for the big players. So to be talking about that, it's just a pipe dream, isn't it? Definitely.
0: And I like your idea of just going the opposite direction because you said something earlier in our conversation, you said you've got the the echo tube, but if it was open source, you'd be using it. if it was if it had ten percent of the functionality and it was open source, if it could still turn my Wi-Fi devices on and off and issue those commands, I'm good. Really, I'm good. And that's why why I really think if they could focus on the offline or the small-scale office deployments where this could be great in a small business, imagine you walk into a conference room and you can set up the projector and the lights and all of that, the temperature, everything with your voice. You never have to train staff on how to use any of the devices in that room. They just bark into the air, and it happens. There's really no reason Weikhoff couldn't do that because you could build special recipes just for your office environment, name your devices that you have them named, the quirky little office name that you have for them, and that could be the piece that they own. Enterprise and business and privacy nuts like us. And they could open source as much of this stuff as they want because they're not even competing with the echoes of the world. But this idea that they could topple Amazon at this point or Google or Apple is ludicrous. It's ludicrous. It's it's like somebody launching a device right now saying they're going to topple Android. It just would be laughable.
1: Yeah, you've got to find somewhere else to compete. And for me, the main feature would be nothing leaves your land. If, you, if they can say that, then that's going to be hugely attractive to a lot of people.
0: Just make sure that if you're deploying it on your LAN in a Docker image, that you check where that image came from. Because recently, it was discovered that backdoor Docker images were downloaded 5 million times from the official Docker Hub.
1: This does not look good for Docker Hub, does it? Especially given that they were reported within um, a few weeks of them first going up, and they did nothing about it for months.
0: Yeah, and the the thing that's really sort of like insult on top of injury is that the user account that these, I think, 17 different images got published to was Docker123321. Obviously, just like a rando account that somebody threw together that if a human being even looked at it for 10 seconds would be a little suspicious. But the way this hub stuff works, if you guys aren't familiar with is anybody can publish to the hub. And the idea is kind of great. Because it means some rando sysadmin could really solve a problem, put it all up in a Docker container and put it on the hub, and now thousands of other sysadmins or developers or whoever can take advantage of that person's cleverness. That is a great idea. And then the, the whole theory is a sort of Reddit dig style, the votes and the comments and App Store review style stuff filter out the good and bad. But as we've all experienced on Amazon and Google Play and Apple's App Store, it never works like that. So, of course, images with, oh, I'm sorry, it was, I believe, 14 images, 14 images with malware in them, in this case, crypto mining malware, just went up and some of them got some pretty large deployments. (laughs) It just sits there. And because Docker is probably not paying people to go through the hub full time, even when people start speculating in different avenues that there might be something wrong with these images, like Joe said, nothing happens. It's funny that when you and Wes were talking about this on the latest Tech Snap, I just
1: kept thinking you could substitute Docker Hub for the Snap Store. You know, because that, again, anyone could upload to it. And yes, okay, they have confinement and everything, but... We've actually seen crypto mining stuff on there as well. And yes, it was dealt with very quickly and everything. But I think that this is a growing problem. If you have an app store that anyone can upload to, then you can't necessarily trust everything that's in there. And then it becomes up to the user to assess who has uploaded it and and see whether they trust them. And it, this seems to be a major problem to me. I think with Docker, it's probably less of a problem because the kind of people who are using that are going to be sysadmins and people who are very technical. But with Snaps, it's a very different story, isn't it? Because that is aimed at everyone.
0: I would say, because of Docker's huge scale deployment, I mean, <laughs> mega scale deployment, uh, there's probably a lot more noobs installing Docker images than Snap. Snap's sort of a little newer, less widely known. So you probably have more sysadmin knowledgeable people using them at this point, I'm guessing. Rampant speculation, obviously. I think this is really true for any kind of software store or repo or even a website that uh, collates links. This is an issue. And so the... The thing that we have to just acknowledge here for a moment, and maybe it just sucks, but this is the way the world works right now, is the onus is on the user to double-check this stuff. And so that's why I think when you give users tools beyond just uh, thumbing something up, it's it's valuable. So like for, in the case of the Snap Store, they're going to be adding like verified publisher status and things like that. That is, even though it seems like an incremental improvement, is exactly the kind of tool you can give a user to make an educated guess. Now, I I wish I could sit here and tell you that using machine learning, artificial intelligence, and Google Duplex, they could suss out all of the bad software on the internet, but the reality is it's just not going to happen. So it's got to be on the user. Uh, But the problem is, I think, is there is some responsibility all of a sudden when a corporation begins to curate and manage something. That's where it becomes a gray area. Well, that's the thing. For however many
1: years we've been using Linux, 20 plus, we've had curated repositories that have been the responsibility of the distro in question whereas now we're moving away from that model more towards the old-fashioned windows style where it's just random binaries downloaded from the internet and okay it's not quite the same and it's not as bad but for me that is a step backwards i can see why these things are, are solving problems but it's still a step backwards. I, I wish there was some better way to do it. And verified publishers seems to be the the very best solution that we have right
0: now. Funny enough, in a lot of these cases, it always could have been worse. Like, it always seems to be Monero. Um, in fact, we'll have a link in the show notes. Around 5% of all Monero currency in circulation right now has most likely been mined using malware, and the Monero project themselves—you know, the group, the collective—can really only uh, account for about twenty percent of the overall hash rate. They they really can't account for about eighty percent of it. So <laughs> I just <laughs> I just love Monero, and it's just like, of course, of course, these Docker images were mining Monero. <laughs> LinuxAcademy.com/unplugged. You go there to support the show, and you can sign up for a free seven-day trial. Yeah, unplugged. We stole it from those jerks over at the Unplugged show. I I want to tell you about Linux Academy because it's a platform to learn everything about Linux and all the stuff that runs Linux. And that includes these days things like OpenStack and Azure and AWS and Google Cloud. And of course, the basics of Linux, Red Hat certifications, the whole empire that is Linux now. And they create courseware for it. Now, back in April, I told you that they were launching 70 plus new Challenges, coursewares, they were improving old content, new videos. I was like, this is a huge release. 70 new bits of content and whatnot. Well, in July, it's going to be 150 new ways to learn. So if you're, you can start to see if you've been a subscriber for a little while to Linux Academy, you just continually get value out of your subscription. And uh, I, I'm really excited for them because I started to get a little bit of the scuttlebutt while I was down there at Linux Academy about some of the stuff they have in the works for July. What they're committing to is 150 new bits of content. That's like challenges or courseware or all that kind of stuff. Um, Red Hat certification exams, Azure exams. They're launching security exams and training courseware. It, like, it's a big push. And the thing is, is that, They're not standing still. While they're working on that, they're already working on the next phase. They have folks on board that are going through and updating the old content. And the thing about Linux Academy is you can get the whole suite. Like if you want to go in and follow an entire track and and learn up on a whole new area of IT, you can do that. But if you just need to know something specific, like a deep dive into a single topic, they have that functionality as well. And if you're busy, they've got a scheduling tool that helps you put a time frame on on your learning, and then they help you stick to it with goal reminders quizzes, things like that. It's a pretty great system, and I encourage you to go to linuxacademy.com unplugged, and then click over to their blog and learn about the 150 bits of new way to learn that are coming to Linux Academy in the month of July. That's one of the reasons I was down there, was to get their live stream system all up and running on Linux, so that way they could stream announcements about the different aspects of this content release in July. But don't tell anybody I told you that. linuxacademy.com unplugged.
1: Okay, so let's talk about something that is brand new and we've never spoken about before, and that is security problems with IoT devices.
0: No. Well, knock me over with a feather. Although this one is particularly bad because it really comes down to just bad OEMs shipping either debug developer versions of Android or somehow having ways to turn it back on, which is just wreaking havoc on devices. Yeah, why would they ship a device with ADB enabled?
1: It just doesn't make any sense to me. But it turns out that there are a lot of manufacturers doing this. yeah. And that effectively gives you a root shell on the devices, if you know what
0: you're doing. I mean, it's definitely the most in China. Uh, but uh, And and North Korea and South Korea and Taiwan, it looks like, are on the list as well. But the United States uh, is on the list. So is Sweden, Russia, and Canada, and Israel. So it is in... uh, um, Western nations as well, but I think it, it kind of makes a little more sense when you consider that some of these are set-top boxes, like cheapo TV boxes that people are connecting to their devices to watch Kodi and stuff.
1: Yeah, that's true. They just knock them out really cheaply, and yeah, they probably don't have any QA and probably need ADB to um, do certain things on it and then just forget to disable it afterwards, yeah.
0: Yeah, but researchers also found that they were able to turn ADB back on on some devices, which I didn't realize was actually possible, but they say it's highly problematic because it allows anybody without a password to remotely access this device as root over port 5555 and then silently install software and, of course, Execute malicious functions. And for whatever reason, these are listening on the network, and there is a worm that is based on the Mariah botnet code that is installing, you guessed it, a crypto miner and then spreading peer to peer via that port 5555.
1: Now, this had me a little bit worried at first because I have ADB enabled on my phone just in case anything goes wrong or whatever. But thankfully, I don't have ADB over network enabled. Which, okay, to have USB ADB makes sense, right? You need to have physical access to the device to be able to do anything. And if you have physical access to any device, all bets are off. But to have ADB over the network, that is a pretty bad oversight, shipping devices in that state.
0: Yeah, I agree. And it looks like right now that worm I just mentioned that's mining uh, cryptocurrency, the researchers as of June 5th saw about 40,000 unique IP addresses that uh, were infected. And it would be perhaps even wider spread if it wasn't for the fact that there's a bug in the cryptocurrency mining software that makes it not work on some processors. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. It's just
1: a complete tale of woe, isn't it? This race to the bottom and just no proper quality control. And this is the result of that.
0: Yeah, and unfortunately, uh, some of us that try to take action into our own hands and uh, solve the problem by maybe loading a different image or something like that perhaps have one less choice this week.
1: Yeah, Copperhead OS looks to be in pretty serious trouble.
0: Yeah, there's clearly some kind of dispute between the founders of the project. And there is a, quote, open letter on Reddit that was written to the co-founder, Daniel McKay, and it's essentially kicking him out of the company. There is a pretty in-depth conversation over on LWN.net, which we'll link to in the show notes, linuxactionnews.com slash 58. I hate to speculate, but it it looks like there's been some sort of division between the two.
1: Yeah, and when he left, he deleted his signing keys, which means that it's not possible for them to push any OTAs again, which means that the whole point of Copperhead OS being this security-focused Version of Android that just goes out of the window because if you can't update it, then it's not going to be secure, is it?
0: Yep, exactly. I mean, it really is. It's really too bad too because uh, I know a couple of people that have used it for a while now, and they both really like it. And uh, I I don't know what to suggest to them because it sort of scratched a particular itch for them. I mean, I know there's many others out there, but hodas was their choice, and both of them had talked to me about how it seemed like they paid attention to small things that other projects hadn't paid attention to, and they really appreciated that. But they're a company who are not without controversy
1: in the first place, aren't they? Especially with their licensing model.
0: Yes, now that is true. So they do have this sort of, uh, and, and I wouldn't be surprised if the revenue aspect of this model is maybe at the core of the dispute here. I hate to speculate, but uh, there is some sort of legal entity as a company that now has to be dissolved or split up. I mean, there's more to the story. Yeah, well, we'll have to keep an
1: eye on what happens with this. I suspect we're going to find out more about it over the next week or so, and hopefully they can resolve it, but it doesn't look good. Uh, But I suppose let's move on to something a bit more positive, and that is Debian are seeking artwork for their 10.0
0: release. Holy smokes, Debian 10.0, are you kidding me? It's true. I, 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 I couldn't believe it, but I had, I read it twice. It is true. And they're calling it, as you know, Buster. And so this is the uh, spot in the Buster cycle where they want to start taking an artwork. And, um, I like this line here that I thought was, uh, maybe a bit braggadocious, but maybe was actually accurate. They said, would you like to create a desktop look and feel that will be seen by trillions of people? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think that was a little
0: bit tongue-in-cheek, wasn't it, to be fair? Maybe, but maybe it could end up on a television show that is very famous and is watched for generations. And in totality, it could be trillions. You never know, Joe.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. But it's funny that the criteria that they're going to select this on are that it must be the most Debian. And they don't really say what that means, but it just has to be Debian. Which I suppose if you are familiar with them, it it does make sense because it's not, dare I say it's not super modern looking, but it's also not um, really old looking. They don't go for a fashionable look, do they? They just kind of go for something that's fairly minimal and inoffensive.
0: Yeah, clean, simple, uh, and a little bit of legacy, maybe. Maybe put it that way. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Speaking of legacy, though, just sort of a heads up for those of you that are still rocking the Pebble watch. First of all, I salute you. And second of all, you better go make sure all your Rebel account details are in order and that everything is up to date because the original Pebble services go offline June 30th and you need to get everything moved over to the Rebel equivalencies if you want to continue to use them and have your watch function. This isn't
1: actually open to the public yet, uh, but you can register in advance and they're going to hopefully switch the servers on just in time for this switchover. And not everything is going to be supported straight away, but it's pretty much your only option at this point. So <laughs> you've got no choice. Sign up for your Rebel account and get it um, get it ready.
0: I will put a link to that uh, Rebel auth page, as they put it, in the show notes so you guys can just click right to it. I have a Pebble watch and I gave it to my, my old man and now he rocks it. So I'm going to text him after the show and make sure that he's doing this because he loves
1: it. Yeah, I've got a first-generation Pebble, and I dug it out of the drawer and charged it today, so I will uh, have to say about this as well.
0: Very nice. Well, we'll keep you up to date on these stories and everything else that develops in Linux and the open-source world. You can catch every single episode by going to linuxactionnews.com slash subscribe.
1: And you can go to linuxactionnews.com contact if you want to get in touch with us.
0: And consider supporting the entire network and everything we do over at patreon.com slash signal.
1: We'll be back next Monday with our weekly take on the latest Linux
0: and open source news. I'm at Chris LAS. I'm at Joe Ressington. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you next week. See you later.